All right, this is a, a long and detailed passage. Um, so however you can best visualize, I want you to either uh, close your eyes and simply listen or read along uh, closely. This is the description of the priestly garments. Exodus 39. From the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the ephod of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. And they hammered out gold leaf, and he cut it into threads to work into the blue and purple and scarlet yarns. And into the fine twined linen in skilled design, they made for the ephod attaching shoulder pieces joined to it at its two edges. And the skillfully woven band on it was of one piece with it and made like it of gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made the onyx stones enclosed in settings of gold filigree and engraved like the engravings of a signet, according to the names of the sons of Israel. And he set them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod to be stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he made the breastpiece in skilled work and in the style of the ephod of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. It was square. They made the breastpiece doubled, a span in its length and a span in its breadth when doubled. And they set in it four rows of stones. A row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle was the first row. And the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They were enclosed in settings of gold filigree. They were twelve stones with their names according to the twelve tribes, or to the name, names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They were like signets, each ingrained, engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. And they made on the breast piece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And they made two settings of gold filigree and two gold rings and put the two rings on the two edges of the breast piece. And they put the two cords of gold in the two rings at the edges of the breast piece. They attached to the two ends of the two cords to the settings of filigree. Thus they attached it from front to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. Then they made two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge next to the ephod. And they made two rings of gold and attached them in front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod and its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they bound the breastpiece by its, by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it should lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And that breastpiece should not come loose from the ephod, 
as the Lord had commanded Moses. He also made the robe of the ephod woven all of blue, and the opening of the robe in it was like the opening in a garment, with a binding around the opening, so that it might not tear. On the hem of the robe they made pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. They also made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates all around the hem of the robe, between the pomegranate a bell and a pomegranate a bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the road for ministering as the Lord had commanded Moses. They also made two they also made the coats woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons and the turban of fine linen, and the caps of fine linen, and the linen undergarments of fine twined linen, and the sash of fine twined linen, and of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, embroidered with needlework, as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold, and wrote on it an inscription, like the engraving of a signet, Holy to the Lord. And they tied it to a cord of blue to fasten it to the turban above, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for the care and the detail with which you prepared ministry unto yourself for this people in exile in the wilderness. We thank you that your desire in describing in such detail was to reveal your character and purpose in this people. And so God, we pray that as we consider it and as we apply it to our lives, Lord, that we would know your presence is with us. Uh, so obviously a lot going on here and uh, you know, maybe a number of things that we don't even uh, completely understand. But, you know, one of the things I come away with as I'm listening to that, and, and maybe you listen to that for the first time and um, and maybe the only thing you came away with was, man, that's a lot of scarlet and purple and blue and gold that are all woven together with fine twine linen. And I have no idea what what that means or what that may look like. Um, but the thing that I keep coming back to is that the Lord commanded this in such great detail. And just as he did with the tabernacle and just as he did with, with everything so far, um, he set forth these things with purpose to display himself, to display a, a beautiful picture of what it is to approach him. One of the big things that um, that I think I come away with, and we talked about this some on Thursday, is a very basic fact about this priestly garment, which is the high priest is, um, while he is chosen and while he is set apart and while he's of a certain lineage, 
his purpose in worship is not really for himself so much. His purpose in worship is for the sons of Israel. He's really just a mediator. He's just filling a gap here. There is clearly in the picture of the tabernacle, the, the whole purpose of its layout is to describe the holiness of God in contrast to our brokenness. And if you remember the tabernacle itself, you you remember that, you know, you've sort of got this called apart people that's been called out of the world of Egypt. So they were once part of this world, and now they've been called outside of it. Okay, so you've got a separation there. And then you've got among this called people, a, a called place in which you set yourselves apart for approaching God. And that place is called the tabernacle while they're in the wilderness. And it's called the temple while they enter the promised land. They're really interchangeable in their purpose. It's just that one is more permanent than the other. Um, the tabernacle could be moved and the temple had a location in Jerusalem, the Temple Mount and Mount Moriah. And so, um, so there's this people that's called out of the world. They're separated. And then from within that people, as you approach God, as that people approaches God in worship, there's a separate place. And on the outside of that place, it's sort of uh, dull in comparison to the inside, especially in the tabernacle, there's bronze all around the outside, which is a lesser material. Uh, the the twin twined linen around it is lesser. And so um, the, the altar itself is out there. And, and so the priest is um, taking the people in himself in worship to the Lord. And he steps into the tabernacle and offers sacrifice on the altar there in the court. And uh, with the other priests, they're sacrificing on the, on the bronze altar. And then, you know, on a regular basis, they go into the tabernacle proper, the, the sort of uh, structure that we've been talking about. Uh, and, and there they find... Uh, the, the lampstand and the, and the bread of the presence signifying God's provision and majesty. He is the provider of his own light, right? The lampstand is there showing he in his presence is light. He doesn't need the sun of the outside in the tabernacle court. He is himself light. And so the lampstand is there and he is in, in himself provision. So the bread is there. It is from him that we have our provision. And so you're getting closer into the Lord's presence there. And, and regularly, daily, priests are going in and out of the holy place and worshiping and praying unto the Lord. And then in the most holy place, we see what we've been describing, the Ark of the Covenant. And this is really this signifier to the people of Israel that this is where the presence of God is, not in a carved image that should depict him, but rather in angels bowing down to God as spirit, God as one who cannot be formed into an image. And only once a year, 
does a high priest go into this place? And that high priest is clothed like this. There isn't like multiple copies of this uh, priestly outfit for the high priest. Like this is the high priest outfit. I, I, I do not imagine, I don't think we have even reference to there being multiple, you know, uh, multiple of these garments. It in itself is obviously very uh, um, expensive. I mean, golden woven leaf into the thing. Uh, I mean, the, the, the thread itself, scarlet and purple and blue, all very costly. And these laid stones within it. And so this priest is, again, not representing himself. He's representing this people that recognizes the holiness of God and their brokenness. They're really their need of this holy God to have mercy upon them. We contrasted uh, some of pagan worship with this worship and saw that um, that in pagan worship, you bring your offering right up to the image of God, of the God that you're serving. And the, the image would see what you are serving, and then your offering would be of substance to it. But here we see that the offerings these people bring are in the earthly realm, so to speak, of the people, in the court where things are bronze and the air is open. And so they're bringing their offerings here on earth, and by faith they are connecting with their holy God that is in heaven. And it is this priest who is clothed in this manner that approaches God once a year and seeks the atonement for all their sin. He is not representing himself. He's representing the entirety of the people. He is not some specially holy individual that's closer to God or ought to be considered closer to God than anybody else in the, in the nation. He is a vessel, a vessel and a representative of the people itself. The names of the sons of Israel are always on his shoulders. He is bearing them in. The names of the tribes of Israel are always on his breastplate. He is representing them and taking them before the very throne of God. So the first thing we see is that, that this is the priest's role. He is not doing this because he's uh, uh, amazingly holy. He isn't. He's just as broken and fallen as the rest of the nation. But he is chosen and set apart to bear the identity of the people before this holy God and cry out for mercy and cry out for grace from him.
the second thing um, that we see in in this as we've as we've studied it and even the priestly garment describes it um, is that approaching God in this time was a big process. I mean, it, for one, part of your worship is to take an animal from your uh, your livelihood. And, and take it to the temple and, and have it slaughtered on your behalf or in offering to God. I mean, think about just the process of that. We don't see that hardly at all anymore. There's actually, you know, places where they do that so that we don't have to see that happen. But here on a regular basis, every single day, these offerings are being made in this bronze altar So that they continue to minister unto the Lord. And here in this priestly garment, we see that the approach to God is taken with great care. In the bottom of the robe, it's hemmed with pomegranates and bells. The idea there is that as the priest is approaching in worship, he cannot hide. His bells are ringing. There's no way to stop the hem of your garment from moving back and forth and making noise as you go in. And should you should you go in in an unworthy manner and this bells stop ringing, then those outside can draw you out without any concern. They're they're literally going before the Lord in fear and trembling. And even their garments describe this. So we have a priest who is representing the entirety of the people. We have uh, this slow approach unto the throne of God. And we have this uh, description of the people. Or of, of the verse 30 it says this they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like engraving of a signet holy to the lord and they tied it to a cord of blue to fasten it to the turban above as the lord commanded moses this priest is set apart holy to the lord As you might imagine, this became a source of pride for the priest um, in his fallenness. And uh, later on, we read in Zechariah, reflecting upon this very passage of holy to the Lord. What is holy to the Lord? And so often it was thought, well, the priests, those guys are the ones that are holy to the Lord. When the truth is, that was never the factor. It, 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 God was not setting worship up so that there would be a holy cast of people. Some that are super holy and then just sort of falling down below. If you're maybe a Levite, you're a little holy, but not quite as holy as the priest. And if you're not a Levite, well, then you're not quite as holy. And so there's this hierarchy 
in thought. And, and Zechariah was speaking out against that. And he says that holy to the Lord, this phrase that is upon the turban of the high priest, that holy to the Lord in, in, in one day, in a coming day, speaking probably, we believe, of Jesus' time, holy to the Lord will be upon the horses. Holy to the Lord will be upon the pots with which you carry your water. What is he saying is that it's all to be set apart as holy to the Lord. It's important for us as Christians to recognize um, just where we've come from. This is how much it cost, how much it um, meant how, how, how reverent it was to approach the presence of God during this time. Knowing this and, and understanding this uh, should help us to be grateful for our identity in Jesus. I mean, as you reflect upon the picture of the tabernacle and, and the picture of this priest going before the tabernacle and his the beautiful uh, garments that he wears, can't help but contrast that with what God says about you and me. In First uh, Corinthians three sixteen and following. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. We understand the you there to be uh, considered in use as both plural and singular. And so it's more like you yourselves are God's temple. When we, when we think about the church, the people are the temple. For the temple as well as the priests. It, it's complex to apply it to yourself. Be, and so I'm so grateful for this very clear picture in the Old Testament of kind of the details of its outworking. But the truth is, in Christ, you're both temple and priest. First Peter. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who don't believe, the stone that the village rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling block and a rock of offense. 
They stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. Second uh, Peter 3, 2, 9. Uh, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In the new covenant, we are the priests. We are the temple. And so it is not blasphemous in any way for us to gather on Zoom. Because it's really about what God has done inside here in each one of us. The intention of the tabernacle and the priestly system is to declare the excellencies of our God. To be prophetic, to be prophetic of his character and of his nature and of his holiness. And now in Christ, we are that temple. The purpose remains exactly the same. As it said in Second in Peter, we are here to declare his excellencies in this temple. This group of people. And I think as you've maybe heard me say a number of times, it's important for us to realize that not only are we as a body of believers, a temple, the place in which God gathers with us to worship, the place in which we can approach his presence boldly because of the blood of Jesus, but also just as in the time of Exodus, just as in the tabernacle and temple period, the priest is not to be, is not supposed to be considered more holy than the rest. Even in the Old Testament, the Old Testament people are called to be a nation of priests. And so as believers, we should not look on those in vocational ministry as holier. I'm no more holy than any of you. In fact, I mean, if you took that framework, I'm only partially because I'm bivocational. So, you know, I'm not fully set apart. I'm just like partially set apart. Too, too often we apply this concept that the priest is the one that is set apart for vocational ministry. And in the new covenant, what we see is that is not the case. We are the ones ministering before the Lord, each and every one of us. We are the ones that are speaking the truths to our lives. We are the ones that are declaring and prophesying over ourselves that I will build my life on a firm foundation. Well, 
We are the ones saying to ourselves, ministering the truth of God to ourselves by getting in his word every single day. We are the ones crying out to God boldly and with passion through prayer that God has given us to go straight into his presence as Hebrews describes. When we consider the framework of church, you should not consider those in vocation as holier. They are simply servants. Myself and any other pastor or person that comes in a vocational way to lead us or to lead other churches is, is not to be considered a priest, but truly a Levite. You see, the role of the Levite is to help the priest be ready for worship. That's all they do all day. Whether they're preparing the animals or cleaning out the dishes or, uh, or um, you know, making sure the temple is clear and, and taken care of and the maintenance is taken care of. They're, they're administrating. They're set apart in, in their lives as Levites to make sure the priest can worship. And so we don't come to ministries or to pastors in order that we may worship. We come to them and to one another that we might be equipped for worship. That we might be equipped for ministry. It is each and every one of us, pastor included, that is called to be ministering unto the Lord and declaring his excellencies and set apart as priests as a priestly and holy nation. It is each of us in our bodies who are temples unto the Lord. And us collectively as a church and as churches in our world to be set apart as God's temple, his place of his presence, where his presence resides and, and interacts with us, interacts with the world. At the end of Exodus 40, it, you know, Exodus 40 continues to describe that they went forward and they they uh, they built all these things and the tabernacle was completed and it was all uh, it was put together. It was all presented to Moses and Moses put it all together. All these pieces he he erected it and it was all ready. And at the end of chapter 40, it it ends with this. Chapter 40, verse 34 and following. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not even able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle the people of Israel would set out but if the cloud was not taken up then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up for the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. In that time, this people was led by the presence of God upon the tabernacle. A description that he is connected to this nation through this means. 
And what we're saying now, we're saying today because of the blood of Jesus, God's spirit is residing in you. And as he says for you to do this day, that is what you are to do this day. If the cloud is lifted from where you are, then you ought to follow it to where it goes. And if it stays where you are, you ought to stay where it is. The cloud has entered the temple when you have received Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. His presence is now in you and your ability to talk to God is fully opened up. And you don't have to go through any more sacrifices. You don't have to go through any more veils. You don't have to go through any more rituals in order to set yourself apart for his presence because the final sacrifice has been made and the veil has been torn and you can go before your father in heaven and cry out for his love and mercy and grace upon your life. And so if you've placed your faith in Jesus and you're, and you're reading this passage of this priest, do not read it with the eyes of, oh, it's just too holy for me. This thing is just too set apart for me. I cannot access God. No. Our great high priest, in the same way this high priest took on the names of Israel on his breastplate and the names of the sons of Israel on his shoulders, our great high priest, Jesus, took on our names upon himself and went before the throne of God with them with the final and perfect sacrifice that his spirit might live in us, his temple, that we might proclaim the excellencies of our God unto the nations. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is the exact description of the Exodus. And it is the exact description of each and every one of our lives. The children of Israel were called out of darkness in Egypt. They were called out of a place that was uh, facing death and destruction by the plagues of the Lord. A people that has been chased out of darkness and now into his marvelous light, daily led by fire and cloud, and the same is true for each and every one of us. It's important for us to hold these truths continually in our hands, in our minds, in our hearts. And if there's anything that we take from this description of how worship was in the past, how worship was under the old covenant, I would encourage us to uh, to take this. Uh, well, as I'll, one of you might know know the verse, but I think you've heard it before. Uh, from from Paul, he encourages us to work our out our salvation 
with fear and trembling. This truth that, that you are set apart as a priest ministering before the Lord, and you are the one that is, uh, is sharing this great love of God and his excellencies with our world. Work this out, this salvation. Work this out with fear and trembling. Recognize the holy calling that God has placed upon your life to be his minister of reconciliation. The reason Paul says work it out with fear and trembling is that this is still a holy God we serve. And the cost that has been paid for your life is a great one. And so do not go flippantly with the truth that we can boldly approach. Go reverently with the truth that we can boldly approach. Both things are true and important to hold in our hands. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful. We're so thankful for Jesus and what he's done for us. We're so thankful that um, he paid the final price for us, that we can come before you boldly. And God, we pray that we would not fall into the temptation of letting spiritual leaders uh, be the means through which we receive our relationship to you. God, help us instead know that we, by the blood of Jesus, each and one, every one of us, have bold and direct access to our Father in heaven who loves us and cares for us, who is holy, who knows every need that we have, who provides every single day, who protects us from temptation and leads us out in victory. And God, let us be reminded of how joyous that is. Of how grateful we ought to be for that access. That the cost has been paid and the cost was very, very great. And so let us go before the Lord. Let's work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But let us cry out to him boldly and seek his wisdom. Lord, help us to be willing to listen to Holy Spirit as it guides and directs every single day, as it tells us which and where to go. And we're so grateful for what you've done for us in Jesus. God, I pray that we receive it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.